to tell you I love Sunday morning because I have the chance to talk to my friends about my best friend, Jesus. Welcome again. As we get going this morning, I want to discuss the, the first takeaway, that many things we want are not best and that some are even bad. I want to introduce you to a man named Bob Retail. He is a comic book aficionado, and he holds the World Guinness Book of Records for the most comic books. He has over 100,000 comic books. He has a living room dedicated to his comic book collection. He has a three-car garage just filled with boxes of comic books. They all told weigh 8.5 tons. Larger than an elephant is his comic book collection. Now he's continuing to collect. Bob says that he collects about 120 comic books per month. Now, I was doing the math, and if you spend maybe 3 to $5 on comic books, he's spent a half a million to a million at least for this comic book collection. Now, I bring up Bob Retail because we could look at him and we could be superiorly judgy, couldn't we? Bob, I'm not sure that's a great use of the living room. Bob, I'm not sure that's such a great use of your time and your money. But Bob would probably tell us, well, judge not unless you want to be judged. When interviewed, Bob said, well, some people watch sports. I don't. And, and I want you to know that uh, in two ball games, if you watch two ball games, I can read 35 comic books. And so if he gets 120, again, that's just two ball games per week. Bob Retail, he could uh, look into our closets and say, you know what, my room is filled with comics, your closet's filled with clothes you never wear. Let's be honest, right? So what is best? If you would say that a big comic book collection is not the best. Now for me, in my preference, it is probably my sports allegiances. Um, I will take the cast of the Cubs characters over DC and Marvel. Uh, they're a little bit more disappointing because they win less, but anyway, I still like following them. Um, but, but, but what is best? Well, it's not just that we don't always know what's best, it's that sometimes we want what's really bad. I was doing some research and finding um, stats on kids and screen time. Kind of scary what's going on, kids and screen time. The report showed that uh, between ages three and five, if they spend more than the recommended hour, they're actually decreasing the white matter in their brain. And, and white matter in your brain is actually very important for cognitive skills, for literacy and word development. So that kind of scared me because screen time is so easy to give to children. In fact, I was at a basketball game where I saw the dialogue of a five-year-old asking, you know, mom for the phone, and the three-year-old had it, and they were both arguing because what they wanted was more screen time. Can any of you relate who have kids? Or maybe teenagers with cell phones. Have you ever tried to take a cell phone away from a teenager? Oh, my goodness. All right, but maybe enough picking on, you know, the younger kids or teenagers we love having you here. Parents, can we be honest? Is there any time that you've wanted something that you knew was bad for you? Every time I have a bag of those jewel chocolate chip cookies, every time I want to eat the whole bag and never stop. That every, I know it's bad, right? Well, the reason we're gathered this morning is because, okay, so what should we want, Right? And that's what we're going to talk about through the lens of prayer this morning uh, in this series called Dangerous Prayers. 
And, and, and something you should know about prayer is that you should have fun. You should have a ball. You get to talk to the Almighty God. He promises to hear you and to answer. And the Almighty God says this is how you can approach him. Approach God's throne of grace with, can you say this word, with? And one of the biggest things I want to happen during this series, if, if you don't have a prayer life, start one. It's so fun. You get to talk to Almighty God, and, and he answers, and sometimes in uncanny ways, in ways I was talking to a friend where, where you have prayers and you can like check off like what he did, and sometimes he does that. It's amazing. But, but during this series also, I wanted to call you up in your prayer life. It's like, what should we have as far as a nobler conversation? And one of the things I've realized is that it's a limited perspective if prayer is only a pipeline for getting what we want. If, if the only reason you're praying to God is so that he can be your cosmic Coke machine, that if you pray, it's like hitting the right button and soon the blessing will come down from heaven. I can hear it coming. Boo, voila that that is maybe limited. That maybe because we don't want always what's best and sometimes we want what's even bad, that if prayer is only our pipeline for him to do what we want, we're missing something. Would you agree? In fact, I realized this uh, by seeing a Pixar movie a, a few years ago. There was a Pixar movie that came out that summed up all of my childhood dreams. But it was really scary. You remember this one? All of my childhood dreams are in this. I am comfy. I got a Slurpee. I got screen time. And, and what they did, though, was illustrate that when you get everything that you want, maybe sometimes that's really bad. <laughs> it was a magnificent moment when he could walk. It's the movie called Wally. It's great. And so when it comes to prayer, I think maybe before we get into things, we should just pause and thank God for all the times he didn't give us what we wanted. That, that maybe right now in these moments we should, like, Lord, thank you for being a good heavenly father who saw your child and the stupid things I wanted or wanted to do, and you said no. Lord, thank you that they broke up with me. Thank you that I did not go to that school. Thank you that I did not take that job and buy that car or buy that house. Lord, thank you for the no's. Right? He's a good father. But we still haven't then answered the question of, well, what shall we want? Out of a world of freedom, what should we then pursue and go after? And so we're going to learn from Jesus today. And Jesus saying a very dangerous prayer, thy will be done. Now, if you haven't met Jesus, um, I want to tell you something about Jesus. He's the greatest love this world has to offer. This past week was Valentine's Day, and, and some of you might have gotten candy and hearts, and um, candy hearts. <laughs> some of you might have gotten uh, roses or chocolates. And all of these things show love. Why Jesus is the greatest love is because he doesn't give just candy hearts, he gives his life. And that's how far his love would go for you. And he's not only our Savior, but then he's also our example when it comes to prayer and how we should use prayer. So I want you to take a look at what he's praying this morning and what we might glean from it. Our lesson today is from Luke chapter 22. I'm going to invite you to follow along either in your worship folder or on the screen this morning. It says, Jesus went out as usual. I have that bolded because it was Jesus' habit to pray. 
He was known for praying. This is just what he did. To the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Now, I can't preach a whole sermon on that phrase, but there's so much there. As your anguish increases, I think your prayer should as well. God is saying to you, if it's enough to worry about, if it's enough to talk about, it's probably enough to pray about regularly and fervently. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. These are very powerful words that we get to consider. Could you turn to the person next to you and just tell them, His will is best. His will is best. So there's a game show called Let's Make a Deal. Have you heard of it? It's kind of an old show, and it's gotten a reboot through Wayne Brady. Um, Here's a picture of what it looks like. Uh, You have contestants who are dressed up. He's as bacon. That's fantastic. And and they have all of these choices over what they could do uh, with their time. For example, what happens is, let's say there's three envelopes. You get to choose one of those envelopes to see what's inside of them. Let's say you choose an envelope with $500. Then you have another choice. You can either keep that $500 or choose what's behind door number one. Now, why this game is exciting is because you have no idea what's behind door number one or what's in the envelope. And what happens every now and then is that they choose wrong, and when they do, they get a zonk. Now, I know it wouldn't be much of a game, but if I were on, I would like to be best buds with Wayne Brady, you know, make a new game show friend. I already have Drew Carey, Uh, but anyway... And I would like to have him whisper in my ear, what's behind door number one? If I could go on this show, I would love to have his foresight where where he tells me what to do and he eliminates my choice in all of it so that I can get the biggest prize. What about you? Wouldn't be much of a game, but it's like how I want to play. It's funny because sometimes we do this in life. We we give to, to other people the choices for our lives. For example, if you don't know the market very well, sometimes you meet with a financial advisor, and they say, you know, in the world of options, here's what I think you should do. Please tell me. I don't know. That is what should happen when you go to the doctor, right? If you have a good doctor, you probably shouldn't be telling him what you should do with your body or her. They should be telling you, right? That's why we have these people. I bring this up because... When we pray, thy will be done, it's such a great prayer because God knows more than Wayne Brady. And God knows more than our financial advisor. God knows more than our doctor. In fact, when we pray, thy will be done, and this is the next takeaway, it's such a good prayer because God sees everything. God knows what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three. And because of this, I've gotten to the point where when I pray, and I'm not a superior Christian, I just get this concept, when I pray, sometimes I pray, Lord, I don't even want my will. (laughs) 
I want yours. Like, if what's behind door number one is bad, could you burn the door down? I don't want it. And that's a perspective as we see a good God. A perspective as we trust his sovereignty, his foresight, his knowledge, to understand that he sees everything, and so it's good to pray, thy will be done. In fact, if you're not reminded, he knows what's going on. Look at what he tells us in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. I know where I want to lead you. I know what I want your life to look like, where you should go and what you should do. And by the way, these plans are good. My will is good. They're to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and to give you a future. One reason you can trust thy will be done. Now, if you're new to Christianity, and welcome again if you are, it might take some faith to get there. Uh, maybe you're just at a point where you're wondering, can I trust God? I get that. But, but maybe there are some who've walked with God for a while who've legitimately been here. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. The only problem with thy will be done and wanting what he wants is that we still don't know what that is. What is your will? Because I can want what God wants, and yet I still don't know who to marry. I still don't know what house to buy. I still don't know what job to take. I don't know what car to drive. I have too many options, Lord. I want your will. What is it? You been there? You know, it kind of reminds me of my feelings whenever leading anyone or anything. Um, my favorite phrase for leadership is navigating the gray. That if you've ever been in that position uh, among people uh, in an organization, you understand that it's, it's gray. Black and white is very easy. I remember being a parent and it being black and white. Don't stick your finger in the electric socket. Black and white. Do what mom says to do. Black and white. But then as they get older, there's more gray, and so you have this experience. I know screen time is, is, is maybe bad in excess, but when should they get a cell phone? It's gray. I, I know that they can't just stay at home forever, but what should their curfew be? And when should I let them date 35? And, and when should they get a car, 21? And, 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 you know, all of these things, maybe they're, but there's some gray, Right? And so the, the dichotomy is that we could be Christians. I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. What is it? <laughs> well, I wanted to learn from a man named David. And, and David has an interesting phrase about him. He's the man after God's own heart. Maybe you've heard this about King David. And David knew what it was to look at the world and say, you know what, I don't want what I want. I want what would please my God. He was pursuing God's will above all things. And because he was, it led him to do certain things. For instance, one of the first ways we meet David is, is this story, David and Goliath. Some of you have heard it. And David was actually sending a lunch to his older brothers who were in the army. And he heard Goliath making fun of Israel and, more importantly, Israel's God. And, and because Goliath had the gall to make fun of God, David had to do something. In fact, recorded in Scripture was David's heart. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What was he concerned about? Not David's name. 
gods. See, in the Old Testament, you were known as a nation by the God that you followed, and they, their God was Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when another nation was trash-talking Israel, it was directly against their God. David said, like, I don't care who I am, but I do care about this God that I represent. And so he went to battle. And some of you know how it ends. David had this other time where he's king. And he's in a palace, and as king, think of all the gray you get to navigate over what you want to do and what you can do at the top. And while he had just built a palace, this is what comes to him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in the house of cedar, where the ark of God remains in a tent. What is he concerned about? God's glory once again. And so it prompts him to do something. He's like, I'm just a dude. I got a palace. God has a tent. There's something off with that. And so he makes these blueprints for one of the greatest wonders of the world, gets all the materials together, and, and builds uh, later through his son Solomon's temple. Magnificent. So then, what is the will of God? Well, I believe that we pursue it when we pursue God's renown. That's an old school term, but it's basically God's glory, God's fame, God's name. It's what led a, a man named Joseph in Potiphar's household to say, no, I will not sleep with you. How could I do such th a thing and sin against my God? And when we make choices, th the choice of our lives should act somewhat like this. When I go to this place, how will it give glory to God? When I buy this thing, how will that give glory to God? When I say these words, how will that give glory to God? And in a world of freedom, now we have some perspective. And it's been a privilege of mine to be part of a, a pastor's network. Um, I meet with other pastors and we uh, talk about goals that we want for life. Uh, we, we set goals when it comes to our physical care, our spiritual care, um, pastoral goals. And usually when it comes to goal setting, we use three words, which is visualize, commit, and persevere. They're really helpful if you want to use it. So if you're goal setting, first of all, visualize. What will it look like when you accomplish it? Commit to it. Write it down and make an action plan. Persevere, which is to um, plan for obstacles, plan for forks in the road, plan that it won't always just go your way and you're going to need some perseverance to get this thing done. But it's been really helpful at the beginning stages of visualization to ask this question. That when visualizing, we ask, how will this goal help me to give God glory? And so now when it comes to physical care, uh, sometimes I talk with other pastors and we try to get to the gym, not for vanity, but because God gave us a body. And we ask, well, why would going to the gym five times a week give God glory? Well, it'd probably give me more energy. Uh, it'd help me have a sustainable ministry rather than burn out. Help me to stay away from the doctor. That's a God-glorifying goal. All right. Why would it be a good goal for me to pray with my wife regularly? Well, God has said that I should be a spiritual leader, a servant leader, who's ready to pray and lead the family. Might help the kids. Why would it be a good goal to read my Bible regularly? Well, let me consider that. My relationship of most importance is with God. My ministry is actually just an overflow of that relationship. So, yeah, this, this is a really good goal. 
What this question does is it legitimizes some of the areas of freedom that we have in life. It helps us not only to pursue our own glory and our own will, but it legitimizes why this would actually give superior glory to God. You know, at Amazing Love right now, uh, there are many things we could do and be about, but one of the paths that we've chosen is, let's see what it would look like with two pastors. And one of the questions we could ask is, why would this goal help us to give God glory? And the answers, there are more people to reach. There's expanded ministry we can do. We can start programs like Celebrate Recovery or Prepare and Enrich for Marriage. Uh, we can expand what we do for our growth groups and our men's and our women's groups. Uh, we, we can expand what it is to disciple those who are here. But another thing that we can do is we can refine. We can make sure that what we do is to our utmost and our best as we give God glory. We can spend the time necessary to make things as excellent as they can possibly be. Why should we pursue such a goal? It could help us give God superior glory. That's good. But what's standing in the way of pursuing that goal? You know what's interesting about our lesson? You know what's standing in the way of Jesus? Jesus. And that's crazy to think about. Jesus is standing in the way of Jesus. Because according to his humanity, he's like, this is the prayer, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Now, now why doesn't he want what they had planned beforehand since the beginning of time? Why doesn't he want that? Well, he knows what's behind door number one, doesn't he? He knows exactly how this is going to go down. He's going to go uh, from that situation to the courtroom to Pilate to the cross. And that's hard. And so one of the things that we realize is that when we pursue God's will, it will come at a cost, won't it? And this is really hard. You remember David and Goliath? We have the benefit of hindsight. Do you think, as he was a teenage boy going with a slingshot against a warrior, that it didn't come at a cost for David to do that? Are you telling me he wasn't shaking in his boots, anxious about this, this battle against Goliath? Are you telling me it was just easy, it was a cakewalk to defeat a nation's warrior as a teenager? Come on. No, it came at a cost. He didn't know how it was going to end. Jacob, when he said, sorry, Joseph, when he said no to Potiphar's wife, did that come as a cost? Some of you know this. Yeah, it did. He got sent to jail for following God's will. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, his life of evangelism came at a cost. He'd suffer in many different ways to pursue what gave God the greatest glory. So for us, do you know what I think sometimes stymies us from praying this dangerous prayer and pursuing God's will? Because like Jesus, we know the cost. And it's hard. It's rarely comfortable. It's rarely easy. It's rarely convenient to do God's will. And at this point, you might be like, well, Pastor, you're not really selling me very good on this concept. And <laughs> by the way, I can't sell you on anything. 
I really believe in the Holy Spirit who has to take hold of your heart to strengthen your resolve and illumine your understanding. So the Holy Spirit has to do that. But you know what the Holy Spirit might work through as you consider the cost? A deep dwelling in Jesus Christ. Because his prayer didn't stop at let it be taken away from me. Rather, his prayer went on, not my will, but yours be done. And he was willing to go further than we can even imagine out of love for you and I. He was willing to endure all pain and all suffering and even give his very life so that we could be set free. So that we could know we have the full rights of sons and daughters and have peace today. I praise God that Jesus was willing to bear this cost. And I love what Pastor Craig Groeschel said. He said, Jesus never asks us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Jesus has always gone further in his quest for the will of his Father than we ever have. We have not been tempted to the point of shedding our blood, and yet Jesus gives everything. Now, something I want to assure everyone here of, especially if you're new to Christianity, is that salvation is not because we have pursued God's will. It's because Jesus fulfilled the will of God for us. I want to let you know that 100% of our salvation is on Jesus and 0% is on us. And this is the good news that we preach. This is the good news that sets us free and gives us hope no matter where our walk is, no matter where our prayer life is. But how could we be more like Jesus? And what else could align to God's will? Well, I have something else that I think would fit God's will. And for this, I wanted to tell you a story. It's a story of a shoemaker who, in the night, got a dream that the next day he would meet Jesus. And so the shoemaker was very excited, and he prepared his shop, all excited to meet Jesus. Well, as the day continued and and went, uh, he met an elderly man who asked if he could come in the shop and get warm. And he noticed that the elderly man's shoes were all worn out and his feet were bruised. So he took some shoes off the shelf and gave it to the man, and the man went on his way. The day went on, and he met an elderly woman who was carrying some firewood, invited her in to take the burden off, and learned that she needed a meal. She hadn't eaten in two days. So he prepared a meal, gave it to the woman, sent her on her way. Some of you see where this is going. Later, the day goes on, and and he sees a crying child out in the street, goes out to the child, asks why he's crying, and says, "I, I don't know where my home is. I'm lost. So he takes time out of his day to get this young child home. Well, he comes back and the day is almost done. And now he's having a conversation with God. God, I thought we're, I was going to meet Jesus today. W- what happened? And God's response? I was the man with the bruised feet, the woman you gave food to eat, and the child on the homeless street. He met Jesus by loving others. He loved Jesus by loving others. When's the last time you realized love matters? God said it matters so much that that when he looks at this group called Christians, he said, you know how they'll know you're my disciples? It's by your love. When he describes our faith life, you know what he says? A faith life that is pure and holy, one that looks after orphans and widows and shows love. When Jesus returns on the last day, he talks about Christians who fed others and clothed others. And then he says, whatever you did for the least of these, this is what you've done for me. 
And so what else can we do? I think that in a world of freedom, God's will for you is to love. And this love matters. That today there are opportunities for you to show love, whether by listening or caring, by giving or serving. I believe the heartbeat of a Christian should be wake up each day and say, how can I lower myself to love someone else and give them what they need? Because at the very end, what else matters? When we're on our deathbed, will comic books matter? When we're on our deathbed, will it matter that the Sox won in 2005 or the Cubs in 2016? Are you going to ask for the, the headline newspaper from the Chicago Tribune? Is that what you're going to want on your deathbed? Is it going to be your work accomplishment? Like, bring me the watch. Bring me the certificate of achievement. Aren't you going to want people who love you? And when you're gone, isn't that what they're going to remember? That you loved them? That you cared for them? That they saw your heart? Friends, love matters. Now, I know there's still some freedom going on. And some of you, okay, so I want to give God glory and I want to love that there's still freedom but, but, but I hope that you've seen what we're talking about. It's weightier than collecting comic books. It's weightier than a weekend hobby. These things move the needle from better to best, don't they? These things give us superior goals to go about. But because there's still freedom, some of you might say, well, what if I get it wrong? And that's fair. What if my personal life is all wrong? And what if what we do as a church is wrong? And what's going to happen? Back to screen time. You know what happens when I am traveling with Siri? I plug in the destination. And if I'm on my Bluetooth and I miss a, phone, I miss, I miss a turn, Siri has this amazing ability to reroute me. And it's really interesting. I don't know if, to you. if the destination is in there, it doesn't matter how many wrong turns I take. The time might take a little longer, but she always knows how to get me there. Is God better than Siri? Is God better than screen time? If we can make technology to reroute us to a destination that we just plugged in, God who knows our destination, do you not think he knows how to get you there? So what are we afraid of? If we take a wrong turn, he knows how to reroute us. Let us boldly plan and pursue the will of God. Let us boldly go to love other people. And though it bear a cost, may it remind you of the superior cost Jesus gave in his life for you and lead you to love him all the more. Amen.